Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored, soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Except the contract is the last thing you're worried about. Why? No, that's going to come. I'm going to keep playing well. Uh, I feel great about the organization and everybody in the locker room and, and the coaching staff. And so, you know, that's icing on, on the cake to me. I'm, I'm just excited to be out here. He's even more excited now. Joe Burrow got paid yesterday. Five-year, $275 million contract extension. By way of new money, the Fugazi metric used by agents to value contracts, it's worth $55 million per year. He becomes the highest paid player in NFL history by $2.5 million over Justin Herbert. He is $10 million per year ahead of Patrick Mahomes. And I can't help but wonder how much longer that's going to be okay with Patrick Mahomes to be that far behind when that many other teams can pay that many other quarterbacks more than Mahomes, at some point it becomes glaring for Patrick Mahomes, and we'll see if and when the Chiefs fix that. But, Peter, look, we knew it was going to happen. We knew. The Bengals have been planning for it. They sold the naming rights to the stadium for crying out loud. They knew it was time to find every couch cushion in the house for every last quarter that they could pile (laughs) together because this is the price that comes due if you're going to have a great team. You win the lottery in the draft. And as I was saying yesterday, the problem with winning the lottery if you're an NFL team is you're the one that's eventually got to pay out the jackpot to keep that great player. And between Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, they're going to have to pay a lot of money. And now they did it. And I think they probably, when I look at the deal, I haven't seen the structure yet. We'll have all the details at PFT. But... I would say the Bengals are happy. I'd say it was a fair compromise. I thought it might be worse, and I thought there might be some device in there to protect Joe Burrow against the market continuing to pass him by, as we will see it do with any quarterback that gets a long-term contract. Over the course of that deal, the market is going to pass him by, and at some point it's going to need to be adjusted. Mike, you know, you asked the question, how much longer will it be before Patrick Mahomes goes to Brett Veach and Clark Hunt and Andy Reid and says, well, we got to do something about this. You know what I say to that? Might be a long time. Because who is the quarterback who uh, Patrick Mahomes, I'm not going to say idolizes, but sort of looks at as a model? Tom Brady. What did Tom Brady do? There was one year after one of the Super Bowls where Uh, In average salary the next year, he was the 18th highest paid quarterback. And he never made a big deal of it because he always told Scott Pioli at the time, Bill Belichick, hey, listen, if you just spend to the cap, don't worry about me. 
and all that. And so I'm not saying that Mahomes is going to do that. I don't assume that he will. That's my only point about this. Now, the other thing I thought that was really interesting, when you look at it now and you see that, remember when we were all up in arms and outraged about Deshaun Watson. And look, that contract is going to look idiotic if Deshaun Watson is a C-plus quarterback, obviously. But now Deshaun Watson, I think, is seventh in the quarterback pay standings. And that's what happens. You know, every quarterback contract is used as a pogo stick. The next guy is going to hopscotch over your guy. Sorry about mixing my metaphors there. But the next guy is going to get paid more. And, and look, you know, whoever is going to get the next contract among quarterbacks, you know, it'll be a couple million more than Joe Burrow. That's just the way the contract game works. And look, I know you talked about it. I'm sure you talked about it at great length in the last day or so. But, you know, to me, what really surprised me, nothing surprised me about Joe Burrow's contract. It did surprise me that Nick Bosa's contract blew Aaron Donald's out of the water. And, and Mike, you know, I kept watching last night, and I kept thinking that if you're Chris Jones and you see that contract from Nick Bosa, that can't help the Kansas City Chiefs in whatever they're going to try to do with Chris Jones. My first impression after the Bosa deal was that this doesn't really change things for Chris Jones because he wants what he wants and he understands Bosa was going to get a massive deal and that's just the way it is. But as I said last night, that Bosa at $34 million, when Chris Jones has just been, hey, you know, 28. Aaron Donald's at 31.67. I just want 28. And now Bosa's at 34. It could be a factor. We don't know because the Chiefs won't engage him in conversation. And it may be he's out until week eight. And week eight is important because that's the deadline for showing up, getting credit for this year, and then kicking it to the franchise tag next year. And the franchise tag, and I need to write something about this. I don't want to get too deep into the weeds here. But they may not be able to franchise tag him next year because even if he misses half the season, his original cap number is what counts for next year, and he gets a 20% raise over that cap number. So it's going to be like $32 million to tag him next year, and they, they quite possibly won't tag him next year, and he becomes a free agent once he gets credit for this year under his contract if they don't sign him to a long-term deal. All right, back to the Bengals. Burrow's happy. Burrow's healthy yeah. by all appearances. But he struggles against the Cleveland Browns, one in five. The guy who is Patrick Mahomes' kryptonite, has his own kryptonite in the form of the Cleveland Browns. It makes no sense. Does he finally break that hold that the Browns have over him? Look, a couple of those games Burrow scored in the 30s, so I'm not going to say he can't beat Cleveland. It is weird. It's an odd story. Mike, you know, of all the games on the first weekend of the season, this is the game that I look at in circle as the biggest game of the week for two reasons. Number one, we're going to see what happens when Miles Garrett chases Joe Burrow out of the pocket. Uh, Does he have a coach right now or an offensive coordinator, Brian Callahan or Zach Taylor, who say, listen, no sprinting. Can't sprint. You're not ready to do that yet. Do they do that? Or does he just play absolutely as normal and the Bengals hope for the best? That's one part of it. But the other part is, will the real Deshaun Watson please stand up? And we have no idea after watching him sit for 100 weeks, play lousy last year, and then have another full off season. You say, well, he's been able to train with all his guys. Well, that's looking on the bright side of life, as John Cleese would say in Monty Python. But the real question that I would have, honestly, the real question I would have very simply is whether he can resume what he was three years ago. We do not know. And so anybody who says, oh, you know, Watson is going to, you know, he's young. He's going to resume it. Listen, this guy has been beat up 
nationally, everywhere. You know, he's had his life put under the microscope, and rightfully so, okay? But I don't know which Deshaun Watson is going to be this year. He had a very in-and-out training camp. He had some good days. He had some not good days. So to me, Mike, this is, this is a huge game for both teams because the Bengals are going to see what they have health-wise in Joe Burrow. The Browns are going to start to see what they have you know, in, in a, you know, after paying a guy the biggest guaranteed contract in history, they're going to see whether it's even remotely worth it. If he has a bad year, I mean, Lord help uh, the Cleveland Browns. I don't know how you come back from that, really. Well, and that is the biggest wild card. For the Cleveland Browns. And the Cleveland Browns are the biggest wild card team in the NFL for me this year. I don't know how they're going to do. I don't know whether they're going to be good or not because it all goes back to Deshaun Watson. Can he be the guy that he was in 2020 when we last saw him for a full season where he was the best by far the Texans had to offer and he had a great season without a lot of help around him? Can he get back to being what he was in Houston? Here he is from this week on how he believes he can go about getting back to being Deshaun Watson 2020 when he was MVP caliber in Houston. I don't want to return as a guy to Houston. I want to be better than that guy. So what I was, was it, 2023, three years ago, I'm not the same guy. So... Um, I feel like I've improved, I've evolved to a new level, um, and I'm ready to be able to show that. You know, I, you know, last year was a tricky time where, you know, I was learning everything, but, you know, I, I don't want to just get caught up on, hey, Houston this, Houston that. You know, I got I had a lot of fun, a lot of success in Houston, but I want to have that success and start something new in Cleveland. That's fine, but I think he's missing the point. The point is, can you be the guy that you were? Don't even focus on being better than that guy. you got to get back to being that guy. That's a long time. One full year where he didn't play at all. Last year, he was gone for 11 games. And those games at the end of the season just kind of had a weird, awkward vibe to them. And what do we really take from that when the Browns were already done? And it just felt like preseason, pre-preseason games that weren't going to mean anything because you got eight months before you start playing again. This is it. Will he be the guy that he was? And how will they use him? How do you justify Nick Chubb, who makes a ton of money, who, you know, is a vestige of the, hey Mike, the what... ground and pound offense? Go ahead. <coughs> Mike, the, the one question I have after that soundbite is, aren't we in the biggest heat wave we've ever had in this country? And unless he's doing his press conference inside a refrigerator with a Browns background, <laughs> I don't understand the hoodie and the wool cap. Somebody please explain that to me. I'm going out with the lightest T-shirt and shorts everywhere. And, and look at this. I don't know. I, is that me? Or, or does somebody, do, do you, you look know, at something like that and you say, hey, Deshaun, it's, it's 94 degrees outside. Come on, dude. <laughs> I don't know if there's a method to it or not. I noticed it last night during pregame warm-ups. Like some of the Lions players, like, you know, it's hot out here. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get it. Maybe there is some sort of performance-based mindset, heat acclimation. I don't know. But the key is, will... Deshaun Watson be the guy that he was when he took the NFL by storm as a rookie continue to play well we haven't seen him no one's seen him we'll find out when we see him on Sunday let's go and take a break we'll rip through some of the other week one matchups when this Friday edition of PFT live continues right after this this is your first you know game week since you know, not in nine months, uh, just sort of maybe going back to Joe's original question: Are there things that you're appreciating or you know soaking in differently now after everything you've gone through, uh, especially the decision that you made to come back? Um, well, I I think being appreciative of being able to continue to play is is one thing. Yeah, the the thing 
the thing with that is you just never you can never take it for granted regardless of the, the position you're in it's like I don't know how to explain it it's yeah like some some guys have the luxury of finishing whole seasons and other guys as myself you know I, I never had that luxury so definitely cherishing the opportunity to continue to still go be able to go out there and, and lead these guys Tua Tagovailoa talking about making it through a full 17 game season Peter we're back Peter are you there oh sorry Mike we're back I'm here and we're back <laughs> so Tua Tagovailoa talking <laughs> the luxury and it's not luxury implies a lot there's a responsibility on the player to position himself to make it through 17 games. Why else would he have spent so much time this offseason practicing and training jiu-jitsu? And we've seen some of it already, glimpses of it during the preseason, where he takes a hit, he's falling down, and instead of landing backward and having his head possibly strike the turf, he spins, he lands. You have to learn how to get rid of the football so you don't take those hits. You have to learn when you do take those hits how to fall so that you don't hit your head on the turf. Little things like that add up. And the challenge is when you're in that moment and you're doing everything you can to help your team win, do you have the presence of mind to keep yourself healthy? That competitive fire takes over. And we see it time and again. Quarterbacks want to drop a shoulder and deliver a blow. They don't want to go out of bounds. They want to get their team fired up and that's fine but every time you do that it carries a risk an incremental risk that that's going to be the thing that knocks you out so that's one of the ways you get through 17 games you commit yourself to doing everything you can to keep yourself healthy when you're out there on the field we'll find out starting Sunday Dolphins Chargers one of the great games in week one can Tua Tagovailoa stay healthy enough to keep going through check the box every week and play the whole season Yeah, I remember, Mike, I sat with Tua Tagovailoa in training camp, and one of the other things that he and also Mike McDaniel talked about was the fact that, look, last year, Teddy Bridgewater told Mike McDaniel something about physicality and playing the quarterback position. He said, you know what is the crazy thing about the way we treat quarterbacks in the NFL? He said, all through the offseason, you know, in, in the workouts and in mini camps, in OTAs, and then in training camps, nobody touches the quarterback. That, and then on opening day of the football season, you know, it's, everybody is hunting the quarterback and trying to hit him and trying to knock him down. And as Teddy Bridgewater told Mike McDaniel, he said it's like going from zero to 60 and, you know, should you do things that way? So Mike McDaniel said it just made an awful lot of sense to me. So in the off-season program that Mike McDaniel had, uh, I'm not saying he, he, had, he had Tua tackled, but he had Tua often, you know, pushed around a little bit, having physical contact with him, trying to get him ready for what's coming on September 10th against the Chargers. So I think that's another part of it. But you raised the point. And one of the things that Tongavaloa said to me is, listen, I got this new helmet, this position-specific helmet that Vices has designed, that the NFL has promoted. I'm going to try it. They say maybe it's only 1% better or just a little bit better. But if, that's, if that 1% can help me a little bit, I'll take it. In fa- and he told me, he said, in fact, the helmet is lighter than my other helmet. So obviously that's, that's a good thing, or he, he felt that was a good thing. And then the jujitsu thing, you fall more in a fetal position than just whatever. You, you, don't, you don't even think about it. So look, <clears throat> I think he's done just about as much as he could this year with the help of Chris Greer, the general manager, uh, Mike McDaniel, the head coach, with the help of people who have it front of mind that we don't want to get into, into a position where, you know, we got to rely on Mike White for five games. 
You know, we want our quarterback to play for 16 or 17 games. So I think they've done about as much as they can, Mike. For the Dolphins, it's about keeping Tua Tonga Bailoa healthy. For the Chargers, it's about keeping everybody else healthy. And that's what we get into with them every year. Yeah. It's always something with the Chargers. There's always an injury or a cluster of injuries. But here we are. Everyone's healthy. Dolphins coming to town. Chargers are three-point favorites. And the bigger question is, what can they do offensively with Kellen Moore in? A lot of pressure on him to deliver because Brandon Staley's seat is getting hot. A lot of coaches out there would love to have the opportunity to work with Justin Herbert. Do you think Kellen Moore can do enough to really unlock the potential, Peter, of the Chargers' offense? Well, in the middle of August, Mike, I sat in a meeting with uh, Brandon Staley and Kellen Moore for about an hour, and they were talking a lot about uh, you know, about their offense and how they want to be wide open. And look, Brandon Staley has nothing against Joe Lombardi. He was the offensive coordinator the last two years. But I just don't think he felt, uh, you know, kind of simpatico with uh, Joe Lombardi. I think he feels like he has somebody in that seat right now who is the offensive version of him an imaginative guy who all things are wide open. And I'll tell you what impressed me, what I left that hour with, Mike. I think you're going to see the Los Angeles Chargers pressing the gas pedal down a lot more on offense. I think we've all talked about, okay, in Baltimore, you know, with, with the new offensive coordinator, a new offense, hey, Lamar Jackson, finally, now that Todd Munkin is putting pedal to the metal, they're going to run a lot more plays and put a lot more pressure on the defense. I would, I would bet that by the end of this year, the team that we look at that looks really different from last year is the Chargers because I think they're going to play a lot of tempo on offense. Well, and if they don't, there's going to be major changes, I think, by next year for the Chargers. 49ers-Steelers, one of the very compelling games of the day. The 49ers have Nick Bosa back. We talked about the contract that ended the holdout. 49ers, two-point favorites in Pittsburgh. There's just something about the Steelers that a lot of people have picked up on. As the preseason unfolded, more and more hype. The bar gets higher and higher, and it all comes down to Kenny Pickett. Are you a believer, Peter, that Kenny Pickett is ready to join the ranks, not of the top five franchise quarterbacks, but just get himself in position top half toward the top ten? Do you think he can get it done in year two? I don't know about top ten, but I think by the end of this year he's going to be in the top 12, maybe 15 quarterbacks in the NFL. I think his organization, General Manager Omar Khan, head coach Mike Tomlin, did a huge solid for Kenny Pickett this offseason and also for George Pickens. And that is they signed a cornerback who's one of the best corners uh, that has played in the NFL it, you know, in, this, in, this, in the last decade or so. And in so doing, and in so helping their offense, and you ask me, well, how does signing a great cornerback help your offense? The reason that it helps your offense is that every day, iron sharpens iron. You're going to have to go against a better secondary than you did last year in practice. So to me, I think Pittsburgh has done Kenny Pickett a big favor and has done the offense a big favor by sort of buttressing that secondary. And, you know, the other side of the coin here, the San Francisco 49ers, Brock Purdy, healthy, ready to go. We'll see what he can do as the entrenched, clear-cut guy 
for the 49ers. And someone explained to me recently, basically Purdy is what Shanahan has always been looking for. He's the Kirk Cousins, the guy who runs the offense exactly the way Kyle Shanahan wants it. They keep him healthy. They could be on track to get back to the Super Bowl. All right, Eagles-Patriots. Eagles made it to the Super Bowl last year in part because Purdy got injured in that NFC Championship game, made it a little easier for the Eagles to advance. They go to New England on Tom Brady Day. Four-point favorites are the Eagles taking on the Patriots. What do we think Mac Jones is going to look like this year? Very upset last year, very vocal, wasn't happy with the Matt Patricia Joe Judge offense. Now Billy O'Brien's back. What do we think this Patriots offense is going to look like, Peter? I'll tell you what, on Sunday against that Philadelphia front, especially a front that, you know, has been improved by two first-round picks this year, both of whom, including Jalen Carter, obviously, uh, are going to play a big role on Sunday. Bill O'Brien had better have some quick-hitting plays. He better have Hunter Henry... Uh, you better be throwing some wheel routes. Uh, you better have Hunter, Hen- Hunter Henry plays for his tight end. He's going to be throwing some wheel routes uh, in, in, to guys out of the backfield. They have to be fast, Mike, this week at least against Philadelphia. And as far as the season goes, I think that in kind of going back to what Mac Jones did at Alabama, it's the same thing that, that Bryce Young did when he went into the NFL. They didn't try to change him at all. They didn't try to fool with his mechanics very much at all uh, in Carolina. And I think that getting Bill O'Brien is going to bring Mac Jones back to a comfort level that he didn't have last year with the way he was coached. Well... We'll see how it goes for the Patriots. And also Jalen Hurts, obviously an MVP finalist last year. What will he do against a Patriots defense that is going to be ready to go because they've had months to get ready for this one. And Bill Belichick always has something up his sleeve when it's time to take on a great quarterback. We're going to take a break. The post Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay and post Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. Errors begin on Sunday. We're going to take a look at Packers, Bears and Bucks, Vikings when this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Tremendous player, guy that come in and work his ass off every single day. He has some intangibles that people flock to. He's somebody that guys follow when he gives a direction. He's a guy who brings people together, brings guys together, everybody around him, who makes sure they're okay before he checks on himself. He's a competitor. If he make a play, he's going to talk. Like, he's going to let it be known that he made a play. The talent clearly is there. No one really wants to be a backup, so he's got his shot. I'm excited to see what he does with it, and I can't wait to help him in any way I can. Various members of the Packers locker room praising Jordan Love, who gets his opportunity. And there are many Jordan Love skeptics out there. And I'll just say this, Peter. This is an organization that has been consistently relevant, consistently good, 
disappointing. They've only won two Super Bowls in the past 30 years, but they have shown they know what they're doing. They traded for Brett Favre. They knew what they were doing. They drafted Aaron Rodgers when he fell into their laps in 2005. They knew what they were doing. They traded up in round one in 2020 to get Jordan Love. I'm willing to assume the organization knew what it was doing, and now we find out why they were willing to disrupt their relationship with Aaron Rodgers, why they were willing to give up a fourth-round pick to get in position to get Jordan Love. We've seen some things in the preseason that are encouraging. We saw some things last year on a Sunday night against the Eagles that was encouraging. Now we find out at the Bears, the team that Aaron Rodgers unofficially owns, Packers at Chicago right out of the gates to see what Jordan Love can do. What do you expect Jordan Love to do? Two things stand out from my day in Green Bay. Number one, had a conversation with David Bakhtiari, the left tackle, one of Aaron Rodgers' best friends in the world. And Mike, you know how it isn't all the time what somebody says, but how he says it. And look, this is not David Bakhtiari saying, phew, man, glad we got Rodgers out of here. He's not. But he really likes Jordan Love. He, he likes him because he comes to work every day. He's very serious. He does everything he can, both in the huddle, in the meeting rooms, in the locker room, to basically say, hey, listen, I'm the new guy in town. Everything's going to be fine. That's number one. Number two, you know, if I'm Matt LaFleur, I have just finished one of the great chapters that I could ever have as a head coach, and that is coaching one of the great quarterbacks of this or any era. But if I'm Matt LaFleur, I also would like to kind of be able to do what I was brought in here to do, mold a quarterback in the image and in the way to play that I think is winning NFL play. He didn't have to mold Aaron Rodgers. He was telling me this story. Am I going to come in and tell Aaron Rodgers how to call the cadence? No, of course I'm not. But I am going to come in with Jordan Love, and we are going to work on the cadence. And we're going to work on perfecting the art of drawing people offside and all that. Aaron Rodgers had already perfected it. He's maybe the best who's ever done it. But now Matt LaFleur is invested in trying to make sure that this quarterback plays well and is in the grand tradition of Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. So that's, that is the one thing that really, those are the two things rather that really stood out to me. And as far as beating the Bears, I mean, the Bears are a different team too, Mike. You know, Justin Fields now with a real number one receiver in D.J. Moore. Well, that's right. And Justin Fields, expected by many to maybe make the kind of leap we saw out of just uh, Jalen Hurts last year. That may be too high of a bar for Justin Fields, but he's the most dangerous running threat of all quarterbacks in the NFL right now. I firmly believe that. Can he augment that with passing? Whether it's quick little short pass and off goes D.J. Moore or getting the ball down the field. Luke Getz, the offensive coordinator of the Bears, how can he turn Justin Fields into the total package? And if he does, the Bears could be very good. All right, Buccaneers-Vikings. Vikings at home, six-point favorites, throwback uniforms, Bud Grant. I'm sure they'll honor him before the game. And in wobble the Buccaneers and we don't know what to make of them. Baker Mayfield wins a quarterback competition that felt like it took longer than it should have. The good news is they're going against a defense that was horrible last year. Brian Flores, the new coordinator, will make them better. They can't be any worse. But he only has so much to work with on that defense, and they got rid of a bunch of guys. But the guys who were left were part of the problem last year. I don't know what to make of this one with the Buccaneers going against the Vikings. We know the Minnesota offense is going to click. But can the defense do anything? Is this going to be 38-35 by the time it's all said and done? It could be, Peter. Uh, you know, if, a, if, if Baker Mayfield puts up 35 or anything north of, say, 23, color me surprised on this one. Uh, you know, I think that Tampa Bay 
has got to hope that they play a lot of low-scoring games this year because I just don't know how you can have a lot of trust for that offense right now. We'll see, but to me, I think this is a team that has to rely on its defense. And look, you're going up against Justin Jefferson, uh, K.J. Osborne. You're going up against a pretty high-powered offense. And, And, you know, by four or five weeks into this season, Nobody is going to be saying, oh, geez, they should never have gotten rid of Dalvin Cook because I think Alexander Madison is going to be everything that Dalvin Cook was. Yeah, and if the Buccaneers can't score more than 20 or 23, they're going to have a hard time keeping up with the Vikings because that's one thing they can do. This is the perfect situation for the Vikings to have a big game. Forget about primetime. Forget about playoffs. One o'clock at home. First game of the season, that's when you see the Vikings fire on all cylinders, and I firmly believe they will. Then on Thursday night when they go to Philly, it'll be a different story altogether. Let's take a break. We have Giants-Cowboys on Sunday night. We'll hear from Dak Prescott on how he's feeling heading into this NFC East. Excuse me, easy for him to say. Showdown, more PFT Live right after this. I mean, last year is last year, honestly. Uh, yeah, I'm way more comfortable. Um, and I think it goes back into the spring and then the way that um, Mike installed plays, something I feel like I've continued to harp on, and just his detail in installing plays, his purpose of calling a play, that um, our plan's in. Our plan's in right now. Just went out there and practice. Obviously, we'll cross our T's and dot our I's and iron out the rest of it over these next couple of days. But um, my comfort level is at an all-time high, and I think that comes with what I said about Mike what you just said about all the receivers, having the weapons that I do, even the young guys, um, and then obviously just the experience that I've had in this league was all playing a part in it. Dak Prescott wearing the NBC Sunday night football hat, and for good reason. Cowboys, Giants. The luster is back in the rivalry. They both made the playoffs last year. They both have high expectations this year. The Giants, year two of the Brian Dayball regime, Maybe better than they were last year. Cowboys, we never quite know what to make of them. There's always this sense that they're trying desperately to restore the glory of years gone by, and they ultimately, when it comes down to it, can't do it. Mike McCarthy, Kellen Moore's out. He takes over. He runs the offense. Peter, I just got a lot of questions about this Cowboys offense. McCarthy wasn't calling plays for a reason when they hired him. Now he is. I just want to sit back and see what happens because I've just got my doubts. Dating back to 1995, the last time they made it to the NFC Championship, they can't deliver. There's hope, there's hype, there's expectations, and they can't deliver. I want to see if they can do it this year. Yeah, I think it's a valid question, Mike. I think in the rivalry between the two teams, I mean, look, the Giants have got to make it a rivalry. This is a team that's 2-10-1 in the NFC East in the last two years. They lost, you know, basically they were 0-3 against the Eagles last year. A fairly embarrassing performance in the playoff game at Philadelphia. So the Giants really, as great as last season and as unexpected as last season was, in a positive sense, they've got to play better in the division. And that has to start Sunday night at home. If you're not going to be impressive when you're at home in the first game of the season and when you're healthy, when you've got all the guys back who you've wanted to get back, you got Saquon back who's healthy. You got Wandale Robinson, who I still think the Giants believe, Brian Dable believes, is they're going to be their secret weapon. He's not going to be secret, but I think he's going to be an explosive player potentially. You've got to go out, obviously, in adding Darren Waller. You've got to go out and play inspired and play great in this first game. I think this game is a lot bigger for the Giants than it is for the Cowboys. I agree with you because this is the process of proving that last year wasn't just some beginner's luck fluke for Brian Dayball. And we see that from time to time. New coach comes in, takes over a team wins coach of the year, and then he's fired two years later, right? The Matt Nagy dynamic. What is Brian Dayball going to do to make this team better? You talked about Darren Waller early in the program. Boy, he's got the potential, and there's just a lot of buzz, and he's a captain already. 
there's some sense that this is going to be exactly what Daniel Jones needs to begin the process of diversifying the offense. Saquon Barkley has come to terms with everything that happened in the offseason with his contract, and he understands all he can do is focus on playing the best football he can, and everything else will take care of itself. So he's focused. He's motivated. And he was critical to their success last year. The defense could be better. We'll see. And, you know, I know the Cowboys have owned this rivalry lately. They've won 11 of 12 meetings against the Giants, but I just feel like it's worth believing in the Giants. They, they haven't gotten a lot of preseason attention. And maybe it's because we see every few years a team that just like, oh, they, they kind of stumbled with a new coach into the postseason, but we'll believe it if they can do it a second time. And maybe they can. And here's an interesting note. The Cowboys have opened their season on NBC. This is now the fourth straight year. And they've lost three in a row. So either way, somebody's reversing a recent trend here. The Giants can't beat the Cowboys. The Cowboys can't win starting their season on NBC. Something's got to give on Sunday night unless they tie. Well, I will just say this. In the something's got to give and – one of the reasons why this is a big game, you know, Darren Waller, the captain, the guy who's come in and blown everybody away. I mean, Darren Waller, you know, has missed 14 games the last two years because of injury. So now Sunday night is his time to start showing it's a different time. It's a different year. This isn't Vegas anymore. Uh, and I, I'm going to have an excellent second act of my NFL life. I just can't help but wonder, and this gets back to something Chris and I talked about yesterday with the Bill Belichick assistants that make their way around the league, and it's a different vibe, and it's a different approach, and I don't know that Darren Waller clicked with the new regime. That may have had something to do with it, but we'll see. We'll see. He's in a new place. He's energized, and boy, if he can play the way that they think he will, Giants could be a difference maker in the NFC. Let's take a break. Oh, when we return, it truly is a tradition unlike any other. Show me something, Daniel Jones and others. The week one, show me something draft. Next, here on this Friday edition of PFT Live. They feel like a regular game to me. They don't feel no different. I mean, it's just the hooping and hollering about Cleveland um, Browns. I was about to call them the else, but yeah. Are you tired of all the talk about Cleveland and how tough it's been for this team? Uh, I don't really hear it. If you ask me, I don't really pay attention to it because it's Cleveland, it's Cleveland. Uh, I look forward to the matchup that we have when we're facing them, but other than that, I don't really be caring. Do you think the Elf logo is silly? Uh, it's funny. It's just different, I guess. Careful, Jamar Chase. Cleveland is Cleveland. It wasn't that long ago that we heard Juju Smith-Schuster say the Browns is the Browns, and the Browns took the Steelers down after Juju made that comment. We talked earlier about the Browns and the Bengals, one of the many week one games. This is the show-me-something draft. Not necessarily somebody who's under pressure, maybe somebody that we aspirationally hope to have a big game. But, Peter, who do you want round one to show you something on Sunday? Show me something to Sean Watson. And again, Mike, I know we talked a lot about this game. I don't want to go over well-trod-upon-earth or whatever the cliche is. However, it's been about 137 weeks since Deshaun Watson has played an excellent football game. That's a long time. For all those who say, oh, he'll come back. You know, it's back to normal now. He's going to be good. Very well could be. No one knows whether he will be or not. Sunday, 1 o'clock, Cleveland, for the team that gave him a gazillion dollars guaranteed, show me something, Deshaun Watson. Show me something, Russell Wilson, because last year it was the coach's fault. This year, if it doesn't work, it's your fault. And there's an opportunity when the dust settles on week one, to be in first place, tied with maybe the Chargers if they win. Maybe they'll be all alone. The Chiefs have lost. 
The window's open to at least have some early season success and feel good about it, but they're in Denver. It's the season opening game. It's Sean Payton's debut. Russell Wilson's the one that's got to go out there and do the things that Sean Payton will position him to do to be successful if Wilson can do what Payton has designed. Show me something, men of Ron Rivera. You're set up so perfectly. You sold out the house, this horrible stadium that that everybody in the D.C. area hates. Well, they're all showing up for the new ownership group led by Josh Harris. And you've got the league's biggest patsy coming to town, the Arizona Cardinals. And either Josh jo- Josh Dobbs or, or Clayton Music Man Toon uh, playing quarterback. So everything is all set up. This has to be not just a victory for the Washington Commanders, Sam Howell, Ron Rivera. This has to be an impressive performance. I don't know what the score should be. I don't know anything like that. You can't stumble around and win. This has got to be an impressive win in the first uh, game of the Josh Harris era. Show me something, Todd Munkin. At some point in this offseason, I think people got confused that the Ravens had actually hired Bill Walsh to come be their offensive coordinator. This is a guy who got fired by the Browns, was out of the NFL for three years, and now he's the savior in Baltimore. And maybe he will be. That's why I want him to show me something. What's going to happen, Peter, on third and five? Are they going to run the play that's called? Is he going to call the play that entails looking for Zay Flowers or Mark Andrews or Isaiah Likely or OBJ if he plays? Or is it going to be, you know what, third and five, just let Lamar run it. Just let Lamar do his thing. In Lamar, we trust because we know he can gain five yards. Are they truly going to diversify the offense? Are they truly going to embrace a passing game? Is Lamar Jackson truly going to have a chance at 6,000 passing yards, which he said back in April he would like to do? It all starts with this new offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin. Show me something. Show me some Bill Walsh, Todd Munkin. Show me something, Derek Carr. You know, Mike, I've never seen a bad year for a quarterback whitewashed and disappear the way that Derek Carr's 2022 uh, with Josh McDaniels in Vegas has done. Now, keep this in mind. Derek Carr played fairly poorly for much of last season and then disappeared for the last two weeks of the season after he was benched. Why? Uh, Who knows? But he disappeared. And then all of a sudden he goes to New Orleans. Man, happy days are here again. We love Derek Carr. Got the best quarterback in the division. We got the reunited and it feels so good. Dennis Allen and Derek Carr. Look, you know, the bill comes due starting on Sunday against a very tough Tennessee defense. I'm not saying I don't think he can do it. I think he can do it, but he has to do it starting Sunday in New Orleans against Mike Vrabel's defense. So show me something, Derek Carr. Hey, you make a great point on that one, too. And I think the Titans are going to win that game. And I think that the hype that the Saints are receiving may be a little excessive. However, however, Derek Carr has shown us that he can win those average random standard games. It's those big games, big spots. It's one of the reasons the Raiders fell out of love with him and basically fired him and got him off the field before he got injured and they would have owed him $40 million fully guaranteed moving forward from last season. Show me something... And I'm torn between B. John Robinson and Bryce Young. They're both going to be in the same game, same field in Atlanta. I'm going to go B. John Robinson. Because Bryce Young, I want to give him some time. Time to get comfortable. Time to figure out the NFL game, the speed of it, let it slow down. When we see great running backs come to the NFL and they're taken in the top ten, there's an expectation, Peter, of plug and play. And that that guy, the moment he hits the field, is going to be not just good, He's going to be great because why would you use a top 10 pick on a running back unless you were confident that you're going to put him out on the field and he's going to be great. And I hope he's going to be great, but that's what I want to see when we play him. And it was the Falcons who saw Adrian Peterson in his first ever game 
when he was a top 10 pick of the Vikings in 2007. And it was obvious from the get-go that Adrian Peterson was great. Show me greatness, B. John Robinson, to justify the faith the Falcons have shown in you. Let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Friday edition of PFT Live right after this. On a week like this, we could have done several more rounds of the Show Me Something draft. One guy that I think we're very interested in seeing, Peter, is Anthony Richardson, the fourth overall pick in the draft, the week one starting quarterback of the Colts. Jonathan Taylor not there to take heat off of him and make it easier. But you know, this is a guy that, that has the potential to be a superstar. And I don't expect him to come out and be a superstar right away. I'm just looking for glimpses. A player, two that makes us think, okay, this is what he could be on a consistent basis. Yeah, Mike, I, I think the only thing that kind of bothers me a little bit about playing Anthony Richardson this early is, and look, Shane Steichen knows, Chris Ballard knows, the, you know, the Colts will know how much he gets battered by a little bit of failure. Is it going to bother him? Is it going to have a Zach Wilson type of impact and really set him back? I don't know. We don't know. But, man, when you've only played 13 games of college football or started 13 games, uh, you know, look, I, everybody says, hey, you got to play. you got to play. Well, uh, I, I don't know that you're going to be saying that if he goes, you know, 3-14 and 14. Uh, completes 51% of his passes and has some terrible Sundays. Again, I'm not saying that that's what will happen. I'm just saying that Shane Steichen had better know that this guy is ready to take some adversity because there's going to be some significant adversity for this Indianapolis Colts team this year. Well, and I look at it this way, Peter. You don't take him fourth overall if you're not ready to play him. You've made that decision in putting his name on the card because he needs to play football. you got to get him on the field. You don't want a Trey Lance situation where he sits all year this year and then plays next year, gets injured, and we get two years into his NFL career and he's hardly played any football at all. So I think they're doing what they have to do. It's on Shane Steichen to protect him. Carson Palmer the sat all around year. Him, it just would be easier. And, and he, it would be and easy. He was I know, I know, but that's, that, was, that was 20 years ago. That was 20 years ago. The, it was. Now, in today's was, NFL. How about when Ryan NFL, Leaf, how about when Ryan Leaf that, played right away? I know. Then don't take Anthony Richardson if you're not ready to use him. That's all I'm saying. Don't take him if you're not ready to use him. If you take him in that spot, you get him ready and you see what happens. That's it for today. Enjoy the games. We'll see you on Monday with an all-new edition of Pro Football Talk Live. Have a great weekend. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.